Story 13 of Elsie and the Child, A Tale of Riceyman's Steps, and Other Stories by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story 13, The Limits of Dominion. 1. Before the war, before the aerial males, before emperors had been cast from their thrones, before gold had been superseded by paper, before empty dwelling-houses had come to be as rare and precious as pearls, there was a row of sixty-one new small reddish houses on the east side of the municipal park of Bursley in the five towns. Exteriorly, they were all alike, except that thirty of them had the bay window to the left of the front door, while thirty-one had the bay window to the right of the front door. The street was not grand enough to look directly on the park, but the houses had long, if narrow, gardens at the back, with a fair open prospect of the colliery-strewn moors which enclosed the five towns. Interiorly, many of the houses were alike, especially in temperament but some were different and the most different of all and the most individual the most independent the most efficient the most successful was number forty one inhabited by the ferber family dinah the elder daughter aged twenty-eight fair buxom placid plain was the housekeeper she got up first went to bed last and received no salary when she wanted a little money for clothes, she seldom wanted money for anything else, she had to ask for it as for a favor. Mary, the younger daughter, aged twenty-five, fair, golden, slim, pretty, nervous, critical, too much aware of the frailties of human nature and the risks of being alive, was a dressmaker's assistant and earned twice what she spent. Mady, the cousin, really a second cousin, aged twenty-two red-haired freckled pretty fiery pugnacious snub-nosed was a mistress in the board school at moorthorne she earned more than mary and saved less still she saved last of the young generation came ralph twenty-four of medium height stocky in figure with brown hair and a stiff brown moustache he was extremely uncouth rather nervous very untidy and amazingly rude he lived in the house like a wild animal quarrelled fiercely with cousin Mady, and quarrelled even with dinah who nevertheless was of a notably pacific disposition also he had dark suppressed feuds with his father but he never quarrelled with querulous mary though she made no attempt at all to placate him ralph was employed by the five towns engineering company limited which manufactured machinery for the earthenware works of nearly the whole world and for many collieries it was known and admitted that he was marvellous at machinery and people said that he was further a considerable organizer and that already he had performed various beneficial wonders for the f t e c he existed solely for machinery and was entitled to be called quite mad he used the front room as a drawing office and in such a manner that the girls could not use it as a parlor without much preliminary straightening up and grave family complications and he had bought a small decayed steam engine and renewed its youth and erected it in a shanty indescribably constructed of odds and ends of wood zinc and iron in the garden this engine actuated a lathe and other contrivances 
when steaming it coughed a sort of hacking cough and the neighbors complained of it and even invoked the power of the borough surveyor against it then you should have seen how a family apparently disunited can be united welded and riveted together the family defended ralph's steam engine which in private the girls detested with ruthless ferocity neighbors for forty yards on either side were alienated magnificently forever the appeal to the borough surveyor failed the family spat out triumph on the resentful defeated the victorious engine continued to cough over all the young generation stood the widowed mr ferber a workman of the old five-town school with a short iron filings beard and no moustache a trade unionist but a conservative despising all nonsense about democracy he was senior warehouseman in an earthenware manufactory at hanbridge whither he went every morning by workman's train from the station by the park his uniform at work was shirt-sleeves and a flowing white apron and from an artisan's scorn of the jacket apparel of clerks and other futile persons he preferred to be in shirt-sleeves even at home mr ferber was a broad-minded man he visited church and chapel impartially studying the variations of religious doctrine with a detached mind he kept a first-rate whippet and sometimes did a bit of coursing but his chief delight was football on which subject he was omniscient he read the accounts of the matches every sunday morning in the sunday chronicle and the accounts of the very same matches every monday morning in the athletic news politics and crime he got from the evening staffordshire signal father and son slept in the front bedroom dinah and mary slept in the back bedroom maidy slept in the cellule styled a bedroom over the scullery such was the industrious prosperous downright stern independent metallic island home of the ferbers on the park mound above bursley now on a hot summer saturday afternoon there was an astonishing knock at the front door of number forty one mr ferber for whom summer meant boredom through the absence of football was reclining on his bed in meditation dinah was cleaning the kitchen maidy was in her room mending a glove mary was afield with a young man for despite her hypercritical attitude towards life she had admirers to choose from and she chose dinah opened the door and when she opened it she blushed because the male visitor was obviously a swell and because her hair was in irons good afternoon said the visitor can i see mr ralph ferber he had a london accent which real five-towners regard as affected and absurd but which intimidates them he did not say rafe he said ralph i think he's in the engine shed said dinah all of a flutter wondering what's afoot with our rafe she added if you'll step through the visitor stepped through the whippet in his kennel growled rafe you're wanted cried dinah and left the visitor alone to face ralph and the whippet in a few seconds both maidy and mr ferber were acquainted with the remarkable and disturbing advent maidy and dinah were peeping out of maidy's window mr ferber was too proud and aloof to go downstairs but he leaned on one elbow with ears cocked the whippet had had a clout on the head from ralph fancy a swell calling to see ralph 
ralph's importance was increased tenfold in an instant the household richly confirmed in its conviction of ralph's unprecedented faculties waited spellbound for the sequel of the visit and it indeed had to wait it was still waiting at supper-time eight-thirty the impressive visitor had stayed nearly an hour and had then stepped through again back to the front door under ralph's own guidance whereupon ralph had returned to the engine shed and been seen no more supper took place in the clean and tidy kitchen at the bare white deal table under a gas jet it began punctually because both ralph and his father were punctual persons with imperious appetites they ate cold sausage and cheese and much bread and drank a glass of beer apiece the girls were content with nibbles of cheese and bread and drank water or milk or milk and water mr ferber and ralph were in shirt-sleeves dinah wore her housewife's apron Mady, as became a schoolmistress had no apron mary freshly arrived from the transaction abroad of affairs of the heart alone was dressed up ordinarily mary would have been in a brooding withdrawn state of mind but she was by far the most inquisitive member of the family and her curiosity had now been stimulated almost to exasperation by the murmured news of ralph's visitor however she did not speak nobody spoke it was not the fervor habit to converse at meals meals were for eating not chatter unlike over-civilized and decadent people the ferber family felt no awkwardness in silence at table indeed it scorned mere small talk as being insincere and affected politeness dinah though she would gabble nineteen to the dozen in private with the other girls rarely said a word at meals mr ferber was uniformly taciturn and the most taciturn of all was ralph whom nothing but the need of something that he could not get himself or the desire to carry on an altercation could arouse into speech none not even mary dared cross-examine ralph being made of dynamite he might have exploded and blown the entire house to bits but something was bound to happen that evening it happened Mady, the red-haired failed first in self-control of course we must be thankful if he leaves us even a crust now with his grand friends and all she snorted flushing and lifting her snub nose as ralph helped himself to two lumps of cheese when there were only two lumps on the dish it was as if she had put a match to a time fuse all waited for the bang but no bang followed ralph sleeves rolled up hastily washed face black fingernails rough hair ralph started and glowered then checked himself for once in his life he was genuinely anxious to communicate facts to his fellow-creatures and the opportunity had arrived never saw the fellow before he said with pride but his scheme is to set me up in business there's a work for sale at longjaw he is ready to buy it if i'll take it on and he'll find twenty thousand capital besides and now you know he was careful not to look at his father well i never gasped mary and what'd you say matey asked challengingly dangerously i said who's your codding of mister that's what i said but he wasn't codding he's going back to london tonight, and he'll come again next saturday for my answer that's how they do it them folk and so now you know 
and should you be the boss of a great big works maidy demanded with calculated incredulity yes miss i should be the boss with that ralph suddenly rose pushing his windsor chair gratingly across the tiled floor and passed into the front room he was too excited and triumphant to remain another moment with the family he could not bear the emotional tension of his triumph the kitchen was scared by the unbelievable magnitude of the event the meal abruptly ended no one could eat any more what about it father dinah asked mildly mr ferber finished his beer got up and went to bed formidably mute the girls retired into the scullery out of earshot of ralph and chattered in whispers they knew not except what ralph had told them and yet they managed quite easily to find subject matter for more than an hour's glib swift dramatic discussion of the terrific situation when ralph last of all went to bed leaving the ground floor to dark night and the whippet who slept in the scullery unless under correction for sins he found that his father had not put the candle out the aging man with heavy lower lip protruding lay in wait for the sun he brushed his beard from the back of it upwards into the air and said what did say to that there gentleman as called nothing answered ralph sullenly flinging off his boots with noise i said as i should speak to you about it and what need to speak to your father about it haven't you got the sense to tell it for yourself what does want to go into business for you're a workman and the son of a workman i might have gone into business on me own many an offer i've had lots wanted to be partners with me but would i i've seen too many good workmen ruined by a bit of capital they think they're going to turn the town upside down paying wages and keeping books and fitting themselves out with jackets and neckties and going into the saloon bar instead of the bar parlor and in six months there's writs out against em and then can they go back to an honest job they cannot and they dunna either you've got a good job at fidens fiden was the old name of the stec before it became limited and grand yet men think it but i can see you earning ten pun a week at fidens before you're thirty ten pun a week and they'll give you something for your patents too they'll give you a share and no risk and no nonsense and you want to ask your feyther whether you ought to chuck up a ten pun a week job for this skylockum with somebody you've never heard of i wonder who's been stuffing him up with a tale about you my lad the son listened grimly as he undressed with violent movements and draggings and pullings of serviceable raiment the harangue continued it was the doer obstinate expression of dying ideals of the artisan's deep and narrow pride and prejudice of a conviction that labor had a prestige surpassing that of capital and it had the authority of mr ferber's steady and successful life behind it as well as the authority of a father whose glance for thirty years had been sufficient to put his household in a tremble ralph suddenly swollen pride was pricked he saw that he was nobody after all or almost nobody the great offer of the afternoon might be marvellous but it was silly it was a flighty affair the offer of a flibberty gibbet in fine clothes and also ralph was secretly afraid of the fearful responsibilities which would attend on acceptance of the offer and the habit of obedience to the respectable tyrant of the home was very strong in him lastly he began to feel extremely young and diffident and he thought joyously what a suck-in it would 
be for those chattering hysterical girls when he told them that he should decline the offer. Those girls were no better than birds of the air. He would tell them curtly, savagely. He would take the starch out of them with six words. "'Well,' he said at length, sharply to his father, his nose in the pillow, "'I don't know what you're making all this to do about. I'm not for taking it on, and I never was for taking it on, but I suppose I can mention it without having my head snapped off.' A daring speech. Also a lie, for he had certainly intended to accept the offer. He had had his head snapped off for far less in the past. But even Mr. Ferber would think twice before attempting to snap off the head of a personage important enough to scorn such a dazzling offer as Ralph was about to scorn. The next Saturday afternoon everything was the same as on the first Saturday. The warm, bright weather was the same. Ralph was working in his garden shop. Though expecting a swell, he had from pride made no change in his habits or dress swells he decided must take him as they found him moreover he was to treat the swell very curtly indeed he had a startler for the swell who assuredly was not anticipating a refusal dinah was in her kitchen but this time her hair was not in irons mary was afield in the land of tender sentiment Mady was in her bedroom mending not gloves but stockings mr ferber was lying on his bed he had come home an hour later than usual, and had eaten no dinner. The moment approached for the arrival of the swell. Dinah, to pass the time, had left her kitchen to see whether Mr. Ferber was all right. It was as though the house itself awaited a crisis. During the week, not one word had been said by Ralph or Mr. Ferber to any of the girls about the mighty £20,000 offer. Nevertheless, the girls knew that Mr. Ferber had ordained its refusal, and that Ralph would obey, and that nothing could possibly change his resolution, and that still he hated to give a refusal, and despised himself. The girls were profoundly disappointed. Mady and Ralph had had a frightful quarrel because, in quite another matter, she had accused him of being a miserable coward, and he well knew to what she, in her merciless feminine subtlety, was referring. Those two had not spoken to each other for three days, and were definitely in a state of exacerbated mutual sulks. Ralph was all the more annoyed, therefore, when, from his vibrating retreat in the garden, he saw that Mady and not Dinah was showing the swell through the back door. The girl must have taken Dinah's place simply from a mischievous desire to quiz the swell. A few seconds later, and before the stranger had reached the engine shed, Ralph saw the back door open again and Mady reappear. "'Brave!' he scowled. "'What is it?' "'I want you,' cried Mady in an imperious tone. He would have liked to kill her, but the presence of the stranger prevented. He strode up the long garden, nodding brusquely to the astonished visitor, and passing him without a word. "'What is it, you vixen?' "'Your father just died in his sleep.' He saw Dinah weeping in the passage behind Mady. "'Wait a minute,' said Ralph, and turning, shouted to the swell, "'Hi!' and then, in a lower tone, as they met, "'Summer's atman in the house. I can't stop to talk to you now, but I'll take your offer. I'm ready to take it on. That is, if we can come to a proper arrangement.' Mr. Ferber had been feeling queer for two days. He was late for dinner because he had been to see his club doctor, but he had confided in nobody at home. 
Dinah and Mady and Ralph stood in the bedroom together. Mady was about to run for a useless doctor. "'What will Mary say when she comes home?' moaned Dinah, for Mary was passionately fond of her grim and taciturn parent, and she was highly sensitive. To see his body there on the bed might kill her. They were all three deeply shaken with emotion, and Ralph not least.' But in his agitated heart, Ralph could distinctly hear himself muttering to himself, A near thing that, a near thing that, a very near thing. 2. Mr. Ralph Ferber sat in his study on a Saturday afternoon, reading a very short letter. The study was a vast apartment, larger than the whole of number 41, where his father had died, and it was furnished in mahogany and gilt and damask emperors had been cast from their thrones yet ralph looked little older he looked fiercer and jollier the letter ran dear ralph we were all extremely disappointed that you did not come down for mary's wedding after all and i think you ought to be downright ashamed of yourself yours matey mr ferber frowned and glanced out at the gardens which surrounded his mansion and the park which surrounded the gardens she had a nerve that young woman had he was not accustomed to being written to in such a manner he was accustomed to flattery and to his own way he was an exceedingly wealthy person he had made himself rich and he had made others rich too he had not fought in the war because the war cabinet would not let him fight the war cabinet had other work for him to do and the work was of such a nature that he could not help making money out of it and a lot of money as an inventor and as an organizer he had had no superiors and he had developed a talent for most profitably investing the money which the government compelled him to acquire he was popularly classed as a profiteer but he laughed at the epithet knowing it to be unjust moreover so far as he was concerned people might call him what they liked he did not care he knew the reality of power and the value of his brain he cared for nobody and for nothing except dominion and the wonders of his brain not quite true he cared for the letter the letter had pierced him like a dagger between two ribs he ripped the letter to pieces and employed language unworthy of a gentleman a girl was standing near him with a notebook in her hand one of his secretaries but he behaved as though she did not exist anybody come yet lady eleanor rays and sir thomas wrighton sir these were the advanced guard of his week-end party he had parties every weekend his invitations were seldom refused and his curious deportment was cheerfully accepted by all because he was he tell that fellow peter i shall want him to play squash rackets with me in half an hour peter was a professional in various games and attended to the athletic department at visden and sometimes drove a car or groomed a horse yes sir tell chapter he's to take the packard and start off for the five towns at once it's a hundred and seventy miles he's to be at miss Mady ferber's thirteen clayton street hillport knipe at ten sharp to-morrow morning to bring miss ferber here and tell him he's to get back here with her before tea-time telephone a message to miss ferber to say the car will be there for her and she'll oblige me very much by coming i want to see her on urgent family business yes sir do you know her number sir or perhaps they'll tell me at the five towns exchange no they won't she hasn't got a number then what had i better do sir better do get the five towns hotel 
Get old Dolce. Tell him it's me and ask him to send a message over to Hillport instantly. Telegram wouldn't be certain to be delivered tonight. He'll do it. Compose the message and make him write it down at the phone. Yes, sir. Mr. Ferber never wrote anything himself and rarely even signed anything. Lady Eleanor wandered into the room, although the room was his den. Mr. Ferber permitted, even encouraged, his weekend guests thus freely to wander about, on the understanding that they did not expect sustained attention until dinner. He had no objection to some of them listening, or pretending not to listen, while he transacted business. "'Come back as soon as you've seen to that car,' he said to the secretary as she left the room." Lady Eleanor was young, beautiful, and beautifully dressed. She, indeed, had style, pedigree. She was the daughter of an earl, and she had married the brother of a baron. It was impossible that any woman should be as innocent as Lady Eleanor looked, and Lady Eleanor was not. She had seen life. She had, in fact, had to get rid of the baron's brother. She was now free again. Ralph, with his insight into human nature, of which he was secretly very proud, knew that she would not be free for long. He admired her. She was so slim, so lithe, so elegant, so expensive. She had such a quiet, tranquilizing voice, and such a way of looking at a man, trustful, reassuring, appreciative of man's strength. It was, after all, rather wonderful to Ralph that such a jewel of a girl, who knew familiarly the whole of the great world, should be on familiar terms with him. Ralph, the brother of Dinah, who had married a jobbing builder, and of Mary, who had married a prudential insurance agent, and whose father used to eat in his shirt-sleeves in a house of which the rent was eight shillings a week. He took her soft hand somewhat violently, and she yielded it touchingly to his violence. Had some tea? She nodded, but not a cigarette yet. He gave her a cigarette. So that affair's all over and settled now, he began, referring to the late proceedings against the baron's brother. She nodded again. Shall you get your costs out of him? Heaven knows, she exclaimed with a sigh and a smile. I hear he's off to Central Africa. They sat down side by side on the blue sofa in the immense bow window. "'Oh, how lovely the garden is,' she murmured, turning her head. "'It's so lovely it makes me want to cry. But I dare say that's only because I'm so exhausted after this affair.' She laughed. What a voice! What a gentle laugh! You could scarcely hear it. The secretary soon afterwards returned into the room. Mr. Ralph Ferber did not move from the sofa. He continued to talk in a playful, rough tone to Lady Eleanor, and then suddenly he faced the standing, respectful secretary with her notebook, and began curtly and rapidly to give her a long series of varied instructions, which she scribbled down, about the electric light installation, the purchase of treasury bills, his new suits, a hammock, champagne, a works dispute at Newcastle, etc., etc. He poured the orders out of his mind in a continuous stream. And tell St. John, he finished, St. John was his principal secretary, tell Mr. St. John to draft that letter about the Charing Cross Echo. He's got the heads of it. I'll see it on Sunday morning. Tell him the figure's 21,000. Tell him to make it final, and I'll give him till Tuesday to decide. 
the secretary departed once more fully laden lady eleanor said you know you'll never buy the echo for twenty one thousand it's the oldest established evening paper in london and steinhall won't take less than twenty six thousand he might take twenty five but i don't think so it's cheap at twenty six cheap is it i know it's losing close on thirty thousand a year and i'm to pay twenty five thousand for the privilege of losing four hundred a week but you'll soon turn it into a paying concern besides you want a daily owning a paper would round you off i quite see that you wouldn't get one that was paying its way for a quarter of a million everybody says it's dirt cheap ralph seized lady eleanor's hand and looked her in the face loweringly listen to me lady eleanor he said with a mixture of grimness cynicism and benevolence you're going to get a commission out of Stein hall if that paper is sold to me for more than twenty one thousand why do you say such a thing because it just came into my head that's all i shouldn't be surprised if he's offered you half of everything over twenty one thousand it's quite all right business is business he laughed indulgently as at a rather mediocre joke a deep blush spread over lady eleanor's cheeks and down to her neck and throat ralph jumped to his feet then i guessed right he exclaimed savagely and then burst into a roar of laughter listen here i won't give steinhall more than twenty-one but i'll make you a present of two and a half thousand for your trouble you are terrible you're the most terrible man in the world i have to live you know how extravagant i am i can't help it can i lady eleanor wept there was an eruption of guests into the room headed by sir thomas lady eleanor sprang from the sofa threw her cigarette into a bowl and rushed pell-mell through the open french window into the garden she was holding her hands to her face and between her hands cataracts of laughter seemed to escape but only ralph knew that it was hysterical laughter what's the fun rafey sir thomas demanded gaily oh, go and change tommy said mr ferber and i'll take you on at squash rackets for a fiver three but i thought you were ill this exclamation came from Mady as she stepped out of the packard on the following afternoon sunday the whole of the weekend party was trailing into the house for tea after various games and distractions and the weekend party seemed to Mady to be alarmingly distinguished smart fashionable londony and sure of itself the women thereof intimidated her lady eleanor shining in white instantly aroused in her an irrational unchristian acute antipathy the weekend party thought that Mady must be some secretarial messenger arriving with important news bearing on the host's private affairs and it passed on through the inner and the outer halls into the big drawing-room why'd you think i was ill asked ralph ignoring completely all his other guests well i couldn't think why else you would send for me i asked the chauffeur but he didn't seem to know much about you i certainly shouldn't have come if i hadn't thought you were ill i wanted to see you oh my she murmured involuntarily gazing at the formidable double staircase which rose grandly bifurcating out of the main hall she was outfaced by the splendour and the result of her fright was that she became brusque hostile and hedgehog-like ralph ferber reflected quickly which room is miss ferber in he questioned the attendant butler the regency room sir find miss hummel and ask her to go up there at once very good sir 
Miss Hummel was the factotum secretary who took notes and whose entire existence was devoted to the great autocrat. He had decided that Miss Hummel and Mady stood a chance of getting on together. "'Am I supposed to sleep here?' said Mady, in the glittering Regency bedroom to which Ralph had personally conducted her. She had never before had the opportunity of witnessing Ralph's way of life. She knew he was a millionaire, but she had not imagined the state of being a millionaire. She had the sensation of having stepped somehow into the unreal pages of a novel. "'But who were all those people downstairs?' "'Oh, just a job lot here for the weekend.' "'But who?' he mentioned some names well i'm not going down to have tea with them folk and so you needn't think it ralph ferber all right silly all right he agreed testily in spite of his unique and disconcerting manners to friends ralph thought he had cast off most of his old five towns peculiarities perhaps he had but in the presence of Mady, they all seemed to come back again there she sat the very symbol of the five towns with her red hair her freckled face her snub nose and her no-nonsense attitude dowdy constrained nervous utterly provincial she was yet sturdy enough in her mind to repudiate all them folk downstairs so much so that ralph actually felt somewhat ashamed of knowing them and having them in his house he felt apologetic even for the house itself he felt that in putting on grandeur he had somehow betrayed the rugged ideals of the five towns and she had only come because she had thought he was ill the goods the stuff that was what she was the vixen being a realist he admitted to himself that if he persuaded her to go to the drawing-room and be introduced to his job lot he should be ashamed of her do what he would and yet he admired the girl confound her miss hummel appeared and worried he left the two young women to make acquaintance mr ferber's compliments and he hopes you'll begin dinner without him as he has just had a very urgent message from town which must be attended to immediately thus the butler to the assembled drawing-room when the dinner gong had sounded and upstairs in a little sitting-room which had somehow got mislaid among the bedrooms Mady and miss hummel were hovering expectantly around a table laid for two when ralph whom they were certainly not expecting seemed to pounce tigerishly upon them and at a hardly perceptible sign from him miss hummel departed in search of another dinner elsewhere in the house i'm going to eat up here with you said ralph but what about the people downstairs hang em i've got to talk to you do you always have dinner at this time yes usual time you know very well it isn't and do you always put on evening dress well it's evening isn't it i don't know much of your laundry i could get up a start shirt better than that myself you think you could he winked as he examined her anew it seemed to him that she positively had not changed the same slimness the same fresh if freckled complexion the same bright girlish bold fighting and yet innocent glance difficult to believe that she was past thirty how different she was from the women downstairs he thought in his instinctive partiality for the place of his origin there's something in her that the others haven't got before the parlour-maid who served them could bring the finger-bowls he abruptly told her to go 
partly because he feared that Mady might silently and witheringly sneer at the notion of him, Ralph Ferber, employing finger-bowls. He thought of the old suppers in the parlour of the cottage by the municipal park. "'So you think I ought to be downright ashamed of myself,' said Ralph, quoting suddenly from her letter to him. "'Mary was most frightfully hurt and ashamed, too, as if you despised her, too grand now to come to your own sister's wedding.' and crying off at the last moment, too. Mady's voice was hard, and the glint of her eye was hard. None of the ladies downstairs would have dared to stand up to him as Mady was doing, not one. They all, whatever their lineage, kowtowed to him when it came to the point. He saw that Mady would need handling. "'Listen here,' he said, subduing his natural harshness of tone. "'I sent for you because I was very anxious for you not to think wrong about me. I—' "'Yes,' she interrupted him in quite her old manner. "'That's just like you, that is. You think everyone's at your beck and call you do? You always did. And I brought down here all the way to be put in my place and made to feel small. You're a snob, and you know it, but you want to make us believe you aren't. Well, you can't do it.' Mr. Ferber achieved marvels of self-control. "'Listen here,' his voice sank nearly to a murmur. "'I'm telling you, I really couldn't come. I've got very important interests, very important. I should doubt if you realize how important. I don't care what your interests are. You haven't got any interests as important as Mary's wedding was to Mary. She expected to be married ten years ago, and she ought to have been, run after as she was, and at last it comes off, and you were to give her away and all.' and you throw her over, and she has to be given away by that stupid old Ezra. Ezra was Dinah's husband. And it was a scandalous shame. You're the head of the family still, even if you do have lords and ladies and things at your precious weekend parties. I suppose you'll say you gave Mary a thousand pounds for a wedding present. If I'd been her, I'd have ripped the check in half and sent it back to you in an unstamped envelope. That I would." You're a disgusting snob, and you think everybody's afraid of you, and you can do what you like, and we shall all lick your boots. Not a bit of it, my lad, and I'll thank you to send me to the station early tomorrow, as I'm going back by train, if you please. You aren't the only independent person in the world. At this point, Mr. Ferber picked up his finger bowl and dashed it onto the carpet, water and all. He let himself go. Hammer and tongs were personified with astounding vigor in the little sitting-room. A report of the dialogue between the hammer and the tongs would not be edifying, but it constituted a great scene in the finest tradition of the five towns. It was interfered with by the sound of the gramophone from the hall, a foxtrot. The weekend party was solacing itself for the absence of the host in a dance. Silence fell between the second cousins. Then Mr. Ferber left the room. Leaning over the rail of the corridor, he saw the heads of the dancers below. Lady Eleanor ran up to him and leaned over by his side. "'I know you hate me,' she said in a low, poignant tone, while maintaining a rapid smile for the benefit of the upward public gaze. "'I know you've done with me, but if you only knew how I—' "'I don't hate you,' he answered. "'I admire you for that commission idea. Business is business. Don't forget, I'm a businessman myself. Why shouldn't you have made a bit out of the sale of this paper? You shall. Go downstairs again now.' "'But I must talk to you tonight. I must explain myself. You must let me defend myself. Meet me in the kiosk at eleven. I'll slip out. I shall expect you.' She glided down the stairs. 
he watched her she was indeed highly ornamental what an ornament for a rich man's home how intensely feminine she's got me he reflected she was going to make a commission out of me and i've forgiven her and she's got me kiosk eh? it was a relief to him to admit to himself that he was at last caught anyhow she adores me his ear caught a strange sound it came along the corridor as from a distance it reminded him of the distant gigantic breathing of the great blast furnaces over a cauldron in the five towns only it was very very faint he went towards it it came from the little sitting-room it was maidy sobbing with singular regularity her auburn head lay on the table and her arms round it amid the debris of the meal he shut the door and approached the auburn head anxiously hoping that he alone had heard the sound this is the second woman i've reduced to tears to-day he thought grimly he bent over maidy she ceased to cry her eyes glistened wet here listen here he said i was wrong not to go to that dashed wedding but you've been saying a lot of very wicked things and you know you have very unjust but you can't control yourself never could and why aren't you married i should like to know fellows are afraid of you but i'm not i'm not at least i don't think i am she smiled pitifully now why am i kissing her he asked himself as he kissed her no she did not draw back she let him kiss her fair and square and the terrible strangeness and mystery of destiny shook him for he was a man who could comprehend and appreciate big things an air thing that he said to himself an hour later half an hour later and i should have been thus he reflected as he went out to give exactly two minutes to lady eleanor in the kiosk he was armed now against the weapons of lady eleanor in the summer night on the first day of his ownership of the charing cross echo appeared therein an announcement of his marriage a ceremony strictly private to maidy ferber daughter of the late etc etc end of story thirteen end of elsie and the child a tale of ricey steps and other stories by arnold bennett